Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is April 28th, 2014. This is episode 75. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my cousin commentator, Jake English. You can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You should also check out the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can also find us on iTunes. Please go there. Rate us with five stars. We would greatly appreciate it. You can also check us out on social media at Facebook at facebook.com slash BEVcast. And you should check us out on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. And hey, Jake, we hit a monumentary uh, milestone there this week. Over a thousand followers. So get out of town. So thanks to everybody out there for getting us over a thousand followers. That's a thousand people, like in prison or in their mom's basements, that have nothing better to do than us. That's awesome. It's Baltimore. What would you expect? <laughs> and for anyone that goes to our website at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, please go to the bottom, click on the Amazon banner, and purchase whatever you need to purchase, whether it be you know sex dolls or whoa, 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 whoa. How about hats for your kids? You could. Be- Buy school books. You could buy just about anything on Amazon. First of all, we're entering summer, so you really don't need to buy things for you know school. Second of all, it's always time for sex dolls. Yikes. Okay. Um. So with that, Jake, what's your drink of the week? Yeah, I think that's the perfect segue yeah. to drink of the week. Scott, I am drinking a Samuel Adams Hopology Collection Latitude 48 IPA. This is their their new IPA. And I got to tell you, I've had a negative, ex- two negative experiences with this beer. All right. We walked into our, our local, our, I walked into our, our local b- beer store. We, uh, we always go to. And, uh, I was, I was looking at the display and the guy came over and said, you know, can I help you with something? And I said, well, you know, Sam Adams just came out with an IPA. Do you, do you think it's any good? And like he was straight out of Hamden, he gave me the scoff. Ugh. Well, it's, it's a mainstream beer. I was like, yeah, I know, but do you think it'll be any good? He goes, no, no, not at all. So I, I got snobbed out at the at the beer store. I bought it anyway, like a fool. And uh, i got to be honest, I'm just not that impressed with it. Nothing wrong with it, just it has no character. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge fan of St. Adams, but to come out and say that they're a mainstream beer is pretty ridiculous. They only represent like 1% or 2% of the entire market share. To call them a mainstream player is like saying uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are a major contender in the American League East. So that's my drink of the week. What are you drinking this week? I am drinking a Ruination IPA from Stone Brewing Company. See, now the guy at the beer store would have approved of your choice. Yeah, my uh, my beer is rated 100 on ratebeer.com and also 95 on Beer Advocate. So this is a top-end premium beverage. My beer looked pretty on the display. Um, if you think Paul Revere looks pretty? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. Okay. You just keep drinking that Boston Swill. Did you have to point out that it's from Boston? Come on now. All right, let's go through the medical wing. What do you got this week? 
Well, the biggest news in the medical wing, of course, is Chris Davis with his oblique injury. Situation is looking a little oblique. Yes. Um, so the question is, when is Chris Davis going to get back? He's on the 15 DDL, but there's no guarantee that he'll be back in 15 days. Well, he'll, he'll be back some sometime between 12 days and never. <laughs> okay. Thanks for that astute. Stute. I'm just saying with with the obliques. I mean, what do you want me to say? That's that's the the range. It's it's either uh, he'll be back in a couple of days or he is dead. Okay, that's not true exactly. There are three levels of strain of the oblique. So there's level one, level two, and level three. So level one basically is you know no big deal. You'll be back in a week or two. Um, and level two is much worse, and then level three is the worst dead. loss. Well, less level three basically is you've got to go get surgery. Sure. Um, so the, the average turnaround time for this is, you know, two weeks times level of strain. So if it's grade one strain, two week recovery, but it's a grade two strain, four week recovery time. Um, you've taught me something tonight, Scott Magnus. I am impressed. Yeah. You Google better than I do. Yeah. So we're looking for Chris Davis back around sometime around May 17th, hopefully, as long as it's between a grade one and grade two strain. Yeah. All right. What else do you have in the medical wing? Well, I want to stick on Chris Davis really quickly. Why? It's depressing me. Well, I'm sorry. I was trying to look for players that were of similar caliber to Chris Davis in terms of offensive production, but also age. And the one person that really popped in my head was Albert Pujols in the 2006 season. Albert Pujols was having an MVP-like season in 2006, and then oblique injury right in June. And right around that point, he basically left, went on the DL, and then he came back 19 days later, missed 15 games during this time period. I think this is very similar to what Chris Davis is going to experience. He's going to be out for 15 games or approximately 19 days. But when Pujols was able to come back that season, he hit for 343, 424, 629, and 1.053. So it's not like we're going to see a dramatic reduction in Chris Davis' offensive performance. Can I ask you something? Yes. Do you hang your medical degree on the wall of the Holiday Inn Express you stayed in last night? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. We don't know anything, Scott, we especially kn- you and I. We don't know anything. First of all, the information that we get from Buck Showalter is targeted at best for what he's going to tell the media. Second of all, these are the kind of injuries where they look great or they look horrible right away, and you get several weeks down the line, and it's a completely different injury. Look at the way Chen was out last year. Jake, Jake, Jake. First of all, for you to compare the physique of Wee and Chan to Chris Davis, shame on you. Second of all, this is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Damn, you got me. Yeah. All right, going to the next topic. Manny Machado has been playing in Frederick. Um, no signs of injuries right now with his knee. He's been running the bases okay. He was supposed to play tonight on Monday night, but that has been washed out. That game has been pushed to Tuesday. It'll be interesting to see if the Orioles actually activate him. Jake, what do you think? Activated on Tuesday or not? Um, I don't think there's going to be a game on Tuesday. Okay. And even if there is, I don't think there's any reason to bring him back for the rain. I know that the weather hasn't been any better in Frederick than it's been in Baltimore the last couple of days, and I get all that. But honestly, if it's going to be a gross, slick game, I don't need Manny Machado to be making his triumphant return to the American League East on that particular night. I say they hold him till Wednesday. So instead of going to Dandy Cat or Richie Van Sells or Buckshaw Walter and saying... Do we think Manny Machado should come back? We're actually going to go to Tom Tasselmeyer and ask him whether or not Manny Machado should come back. It's actually weather with Bob Turk if you've been at the stadium for any t- amount of time. Come on, man. Okay. Um. So we'll see. I. You're, so you're of the opinion that Manny Machado doesn't come back during the Pittsburgh series? Wednesday. You think he comes back Wednesday? At the earliest, Wednesday. Okay. I know that they were they were talking about uh, for sure bringing him back over the weekend. 
this this upcoming next weekend against the twins and against twins and if not maybe sometime midweek and midweek to me doesn't say tuesday so i'm gonna go with wednesday especially with the rain yep absolutely okay we'll come back to that all right matt weeders sore forearm he sat twice this week one was for rest after coming off that weird monday schedule but again he rested another game right after that as well Thoughts, considerations? Again, and I hate to keep beating the drum, I will feel better about Matt Wieters being back, you know, quote, air quotes back, when he starts throwing out runners again. Um, I am surprised that we are not seeing, you know, open season on Matt Wieters to test that arm if he was out with an arm injury. He's been fine at the plate. It's been good to have him back in the lineup. And I will submit to you, Scott, that for some weeks I'm okay with Matt Wieters sitting twice and they need to start him getting him into that uh, DH rotation so that they can extend his productivity throughout the end of the season. And if the Orioles do well enough, you know, a little further into the fall than we're used to. You're right. They did a great job of getting Matt Waiters into that DH spot on Sunday. Do we have to talk about Sunday games? <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> well, we don't have to talk about Sunday games, but we should talk about what happened on the twat this week. This week on the Twitters, a couple of things that caught our eye from social media, that 140 characters of wisdom that we know so well. Uh, first for me this week was Wrigley Field turning 100 years old. And uh, there were a lot of interesting tweets about that. The, the one that really caught my eye was from John Morosi from Fox Sports. And he, uh, he tweeted out, uh, he's at John Morosi, Wrigley Field, which turns 100 years old today, obviously this is uh, sometime early in the week, Opened three months before the start of World War One. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. It's pretty amazing, actually. When you had posted this into our show notes, um, I was going through and you know, being the morbid individual that I was, I wanted to go back and take a look at World War One casualties and compare it to the world's population. That's just who I am. Yikes! Yeah, like two to three percent of the world's population was killed in World War One. Well, becoming less morbid than you right yeah. now, I actually think it's good. Two, three percent. It's going to be interesting uh, to see all of the... That's like how many hits we hit when we're in a 3-0 count, basically. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see all the centennials that come up now, you know, because we're starting to see things that are closer and closer to our experience. It's, it's, it'll be interesting. That's you're, all. You're right. But I mean, next time we'll, you know, see the next hundred year centennial, it'll be like when the last one, the World Series. Ouch. Yeah. You wound me, sir. Yeah. All right. Can I go on a mini rant? Sure. All right. Mini rant. Speaking of World Series. It's the next item on the twat. And this is care of the Orioles at Orioles. They uh, sent out a notice about the Orioles license plates that, Scott, I think it does nothing but screw the early adopters. All right. I bought a car in 2012. And when I got a new car, I got one of the bird Oriole license plates. And you know what number I got? I don't know. Some random number that means nothing. Okay. So the I, Orioles have I got Manny Machado's number, so. The Orioles have announced a couple years later that they're now going to auction the numbers of 1966, 1983, and 1970, the years they won the World Series. And I ask you, Scott, why? Why would they screw the early adopters to the Orioles license plates? That's like saying... Thanks for your business. We knew we were going to get it anyway. We're going to hold out for the casual fans. We're going to hold out for everybody else. You just take a crappy number and move on. Why are you so upset about this? Because I got a, I didn't have the opportunity to bid on these plates. Okay, first of all, do you know how much those plates are going to go for? I'm not. It's the principal, Scott. It's the principal of the matter. Okay, I guarantee you these plates are going to cost more money than your Chevy Cobalt. 
That being the case, first of all, the plate is on my the plate is on my wife's car. Okay, that's which fair. is like nine. Well, or well, hold up a second here. So if the if the license plate's on your wife's car, what are you complaining about? You can still get it for the Chevy Cobalt. Okay, you're on to something here. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. But still, the point remains: when I bought plates two years ago, I was not afforded the opportunity to even bid on these plates. And frankly, sir, that is a travesty. Well, a great travesty. So from what I'm hearing is. For a man that is over 30 and has Father's Day coming up, this would be a perfect gift for someone just to surprise them and say, Happy Father's Day, Mr. English. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that works out. All right, anything on the twat for you this week? I hope your wife doesn't get into an accident tomorrow listening to this <laughs> running up the road. We'll, we're going to get to that in a minute, okay? Okay, <laughs> um, okay there was a, a bunch of aspects with the challenge systems, and I want to point out one from Matt Taylor who has his blog Roar from 34 and you can follow him at, at Roar from 34 and it says in this strange new baseball world we complain about the decision whether to challenge rather than the call itself darn you bud Selick. I thought that was really insightful yeah that's that's true it's not the aspect of oh the umpires blew this call or anything it's just why didn't the manager challenge it yeah you're you're more incensed at what happens after the the mistake than you are at the mistake itself it's it's a brave new world in due time things will change uh, lots of tweets about uh, the Yankees and Pineda. Uh, I hate to go back to John Morosi, but again, this was a, a clever tweet, and so I wanted to tweet it out. Um, he, he wrote, A Yankee broke baseball's pine tar rule. That doesn't mean Major League Baseball should make a new one. And he wrote a column about it, and it's linked in the, in the uh, tweet. But I think that's an interesting point. You and I talked about this last week. Uh, Buck Showalter, for instance, was saying, hey, you know, some pine tar is not the worst thing in the world if it keeps people from getting beamed in the head. And so what basically Morosi was saying is, hey, that's a rule. It's a baseball rule. And because a high-profile team Yankee broke it, that doesn't mean we need to go fix it. Yeah. Speaking of the four-letter network, Buster Olney posted, it's time for MLB to identify a grip substance for pitchers to put on forearm or glove hand and have almost pre-approved as they take the mound. Yeah. Well, that's that's the two sides of the argument. It really is. Um, my opinion is um, pitchers should be able to take a cosmetic instrument out there, whether it be a nail filer or some scissors or whatever, and be able to scuff the ball up, whatever they want to do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, next on the twat. Of course, the Yankees will be able to buy the more expensive sandpaper, so they'll be <laughs> able to perform much better. The better ply. We like that. Exactly. All right. Lastly, Talk on, about the double ply. On the twat. <laughs> the transfer rule is dead per Ken Rosenthal. Uh, he was the first one I saw tweeted out. His tweet was, breaking. A catch is a catch again. Interpretation of the transfer rule will be adjusted starting tonight. And again, he linked his story. Scott, we talked about it. Um, good that they fixed the rule so that stupidness did not prevail throughout the season. It's kind of interesting, though, because you have a season in which early on people got screwed by it, and later on people won't. Shit happens. Move on. All right. Fair enough. I, I am in total favor of them fixing the rule because it was broken. Um, Scott, can I do a PSA real quick? Sure. Go for it. I feel like the safety of our listeners is on the line, and... We had a moment this week that was somewhat instructive to that. You and I have talked at length about my wife not listening to this program. Um, and, and this has been corrected. Oh, we guilted her into it. Well, uh, not quite. Two, two years now that we've been doing this about yeah. we're in our second year. We've been doing this some time. You know what? I'm thinking about that now. We really didn't even have a party. We should have a party just like Section 336 did. 
how about we just have a party here in SD Studios? And back to the PSA. I like the way you're thinking, baby. So it, it took some time to get her to listen to the podcast. She only does it because she uh, likes the Baltimore Ons podcast so much that I think she feels guilty for not also listening to us. Damn you, Sam and Alan. So, um, you know, she was doing her obligatory listen to the, the Bird's Eye View show uh, this week. She had it playing on her phone in the car and was holding the phone up next to her ear. Now, why she didn't have it paired to her Bluetooth or why she didn't have it plugged into her speakers, I, I, I couldn't tell you this. Because thing, her new car is able to do that. She got pulled over for having her phone next to her ear. And after sweet talking the officer and I'm sure showing a little leg, she got off scot-free. But oh, the, she, she got off Scott a lot. So <laughs> the reason I bring this up, Scott, is that I want to make a plea to our listeners out there. If you are the person in your mother's basement who's listening to this show, do not listen on your cell phone in the car with the cell phone held up next to your, your ear. It's not safe, and it's against the law. This message has been brought to you by the Highway Safety Ch- uh, Transportation Administration. Thank you, Officer Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of which, you know, Sarah was able to get out of a jam there, but some of our pictures haven't been able to get out of a jam this week. So um, let's take a quick break. Smells like a transition. Scott, play the music. Let's take a quick break and uh, let's talk about uh, transitioning to some new pictures. We had a call up this week to the Orioles bullpen, and um, they were pretty taxed out after that Red Sox series, uh, coming back from Sunday night into Monday and then going out into Canada. So Steve Pierce was released. and um, Oh, Steve Pierce. Yeah. Fortunately, it cost us a first base option. That well, it would have been a good thing to have with uh, Chris Davis getting injured this week. But can I, uh, can I interrupt you for a sec? Sure. Do you think the organization manages to hold on to Steve Pierce, or do you think he gets claimed on waivers? Oh, he gets claimed on waivers. He always does. But I would love to keep him in the organization because, frankly, I think he'd be back right quick. Well, that's actually, I don't think he can come back for another for a while. Actually. Yeah, I'm saying his his earliest opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um. So let's take a quick, I mean, TJ McFarland basically came up in replacement for Chris Davis, but let's quick, a quick look through the pen and just see how they did this week. Spoiler alert, this is not going to be pretty. Yeah. So let's start with Tuesday night's game. Um, Miguel Gonzalez went five and two thirds of an inning and he only gave up two earned runs, three runs for the entire game. Um, McFarland came in, had a great inning. Webb came in, pitched a third. Meek came in and well, he promptly blew up for the first time all season. Now, he pitched a third of, the, of an inning, uh, but he gave up four he runs four in runs. doing and, so. And again, this was his first instance of really blowing up. I mean, the rest of the season, he's been lights out. So let's get that consideration of he blew up. And then we had Josh Stinson come in to fill in for Evan Meek. And again, two-thirds of an inning, 
giving up two more earned runs in the process. So garbage pitcher in garbage time? Yes, garbage pitcher in garbage time. But it's your boy, Josh Stinson. Okay. <laughs> At that point, too, the game was far out of hand. You know, the, it, it was pretty much over. So bring in Stinson for mop-up duty. Fine. Let's move on. Wednesday, Chris Tillman, pretty bad outing. But you had the bullpen able to come in with Ryan Webb, Brian Mattis, Darren O'Day, and Tommy Hunter making it interesting with a lot of hits, but not breaking and not giving up the runs to have them lose the game. Well, and the offense bailed them out, too. I mean, let's not forget that we finally flexed our muscles offensively, and you saw that offense that you were going to say, this team can bail you out. Fair point, but I'm talking specifically about the bullpen here. The bullpen did not break. It was a situation where Tillman broke in the second inning and then was able to come back and regain composure. But that part of the bullpen was able to maintain the lead besides just one additional run being given up by Mattis during that game. Sure. Then I want to go to um, Friday's game. Do we have to? We do. Actually, there's a a positive, I think, in Friday's game. Friday's game, um, Abaldo Jimenez pitched six innings. He gave up four earned runs. Okay, that kind of sucks. But at the same point, McFarland comes in there, pitches three innings at a cold, windy night, and gives up no earned run. I'm sorry, only gives up one earned run during that process. I think that's a great performance from him. He saved the bullpen. He saved the bullpen. He really did. Exactly. And the, the worst part was for him is that he probably knew he was going down later uh, that night. Well, I mean, they, they probably told him, like, this is, this this is, is it. it. Yeah. And uh, that was a gutty performance. And, and you hate to go back to the cliché. But, I mean, he could not have done more for his team that night. No, he he got a huge lift to the bullpen like we just talked about. And, again, if we go to Saturday's game, Saturday's game had Wee and Chen pitch a great seven-inning game. But then Buck was left with the options of going to a multi-bullpen situation here on Saturday. We will bring Evan Meek in for a third of an inning, Brian Madison for a third of an inning, Darren O'Day in for a third of the inning, Tommy Hunter in for an inning and a third, and Zach Burton in for a third in order to finalize the game. And by the way, no earned runs across that because everybody was pretty fresh. That's correct. So I think the I mean, I think it comes back to TJ McFarlane pitching on Friday. Yes, it was in a game that the Orioles scored no runs on, and we don't want to talk about. But it really set up Saturday's game in order for Buck to really use the bullpen to his full advantage. And it makes me think: A, maybe they sent down the wrong guy, and B, we're definitely going to see more of TJ McFarlane. And remember, this is a guy that they went out and they brought in for the Rule 5 draft. They kept him on the roster that whole year, knowing that he probably wasn't best suited there, knowing that they'd have to kind of work around that 25th guy. But in doing so, they brought something into the organization that had real value, a guy with options, and a guy who's proven himself to be occasionally helpful at the major league level. And this is a perfect example of it right here. Okay, well, let's come back to TJ McFarland in just a second. I want to go to Sunday's game, which I know you don't want to talk about. No, I went to Sunday's game, Scott. Okay. I was there. I saw it in person. And, Scott, before we get any further, yeah, I owe you an apology. Yeah, you do. I'm sorry, Scott. It's okay. I totally bailed on you. I, I can't got, believe you didn't see the draw for a kid. I got up in the middle of the third inning. and Second, I think it was. I got up early, yeah, and uh, I went and sat with a, a family from some family that had yeah. maybe some nice seats. I, I'm sorry. They better have been really nice seats. They were really nice. Were seats. they club seats? They were club seats. Oh, that's they nice. were pretty nice. Seats. That's nice. Anyway, so I'm sorry. It's okay. It's but I okay. got a really close view of a really ugly game. Okay. Well, that was my penance. You left our season tickets, and you left me in a section full of little leaguers, and uh, 
two rows ahead of us, there was a kid sitting with us, and he looked just like Joffrey from Game of Thrones. I know you don't have don't even see the show. No, I have no idea. For those individuals that are nerds and do watch the show, you can understand my frustration and my willingness to want to slap the shit out of this kid. Because he kept on rooting for the Royals. Okay. So every single time the Royals did something wrong, he would say, go Royals. Yikes. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to Sunday's game. Miguel Gonzalez pitched six innings, three earned runs only given up. And I'm like, okay, that's actually not a bad performance. But then Evan Meek comes in. Womp, 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 womp. Yeah, it literally is a blow up. By the time I had turned around, it was, oh, the game's out of hand. And then I said, well, let's go to Camden Pub, Jake. And I turned and I said, oh, Jake's not here. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, I'm so sorry. I should not have bailed on you. I'm sorry. It's okay. So let's come back and let's take a look at the dog performances for this week. And that really comes back to Evan Meek and Josh Jensen. Evan Meek posted a 54 ERA in one and a third innings pitch this week. He effectively put the game out of reach on Sunday and pretty much was no better on Tuesday. And both of those appearances with Miguel Gonzalez starting as well. So if I was Miguel Gonzalez, I'd be like, oh, don't bring Evan Meek into the game. Please don't bring Evan Meek into the game. The thing is that Meek has been good. And so the question is, is Meek getting too much use? Mm -hmm. Is Meek being used in the wrong situations you know is he being leveraged improperly i gotta be honest i'm gonna go with buck on this one if buck thinks it's right he knows better than i do however it just goes back to starters need to go deeper and the bullpen needs to pick each other up that's bunk i'm sorry if miguel gonzalez goes six innings and only gives us three runs that's a perfectly good quality start for me and it would be true it would be okay for your four and five guys to be acceptable, you mean Miguel Gonzalez and Bud Norris? It would be perfectly acceptable for those guys to go five, six innings if, if your one through three starters were giving you more innings, but they're not. I don't buy that. That's look, the Orioles stars. And I brought up these stats before. The Orioles stars right now are going five and a two thirds innings right now. Playoff teams last year only went six innings pitched, so we're only missing one out. One out. We're doing better than the Rays right now in terms of getting. I'm really innings. glad. I'm really glad you said that. We're we're one out away. Yeah, we're one out away. Do you know when all those runs were scored on Sunday? There were two, two outs. outs. There yeah. were two outs, Scott. We were one out away You're of getting right. out of that inning, and it got out of control. You're right. There were two outs. Oh, and who was pitching? Oh, that's right. Evan Meek was pitching, not Miguel Gonzalez. Yeah. So what's the issue here? We're talking about the bullpen again. Not the starters. The starters kept the games alive, except for Chris Tillman, and he was able to stay in there long enough where the Orioles were able to come back. So what's the takeaway, Scott? Is the bullpen overtaxed? Do the bullpen guys suck? What's the deal? What's the deal with the bullpen? My opinion on this is it's it's twofold. Evan Meek was a player that wasn't expected to be on the 25-man roster coming out of spring training. He was a major surprise, but he pitched lights out throughout all the spring and he earned his way onto the team. He, earned he his legitimately way, did. He earned his way onto the team, and Buck was very impressed with him. Now, that being said... Is he is he working his way off the team? He's working his way off the team. His velocity is not that impressive. He only pitches with in the, mid, uh, in the upper 80s, um, low 90s. Again, not really impressive movement either. It's really about pitch placement. And if the scouting report is out there saying this is how he's going to do pitch placement, that would explain why he posted a... 
750 average with people hitting off him this week and a 7.50 whip against people. I think the scouting reports out on Evan Meek. I think it's basically, you know, we're not going to see much better from him in the near future. Can I play devil's advocate for just a second? I love that. We keep saying it's early, it's early, it's early. And it is, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still April as of today and, and two days afterward. Is it just possible that he's hit a rough week? Is it possible that Evan Meek has hit one of those valleys that players go through in a season? You know, I would tend to agree with you if there was a track record, but what did Evan Meek do last year? Well, Evan Meek has been an effective pitcher. I mean, he was an all-star in 2010. I'm not trying to make excuses. So, so is Vladimir Guerrero. I'm not trying to make excuses for the guy. I think it's very important to draw a distinction. I'm just saying that Buck Showalter believes in him for a reason. One, because he's seen him pitch well within his own eyes. Two, because he knows a crap load more about baseball than I do. And third, because Buck Showalter is there in the situation. So I think it's very possible that Evan Meek is pitching his way back to the minors. However, at the same time, it could be that we as fans are overreacting and that in May and June and July, we'll look back at this and see it as an aberration. Okay, maybe. Let's go on to the other pitcher, though, which is the trash can himself, Josh Stinson. Hey, this is your boy. You can talk about him all you want. All right, so Josh Stinson has been called in for mop of duties pretty much in all games this season. I pulled up, there was a statistics in Sabermetrics where you basically are looking. I'm sorry, what? In Saber, there was a statistic in Sabermetrics. And they basically looks at a pitcher, whether they come in in low leverage situations, normal situations, or high leverage situations. So what, for, what situation in a baseball game is low leverage? Well, let's say, hypothetically, say the Orioles are winning by six runs or losing by six runs. That would be a low leverage situation. Okay, the second one I've seen, yes. the first one I'm unfamiliar with. We've been winning a few games where Josh Stinson has come in with a very large lead. And how have we left those games? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, I I interrupted you. Please yes. go on. It actually did pretty well during those games where he had low leverage, where he was winning. When it didn't matter. When it didn't matter. Okay. Yes, we call that the Pedro Stroop <laughs> pitching appearance. Um, but it's interesting that he hasn't come in in any normal or high leverage situations. So this really raises the question of again, because Buck Showalter knows baseball, right? What's the purpose of him being on the team right now, whether it be just mop-up duty? Good effing question. Yes. I asked it last year, and I asked it this year. He's out of options. He's That's out of options. Answer. Yep, but again, it's if you're just bringing him for mop-up duty and low-leverage situations, what's he there for? Why are we fighting to keep Josh Stinson? Right. If he's not good enough to be on this bullpen, who is going to grab him? DFA. Yeah. DFA. Okay. Now, let's go back to bringing Evan Meek and Josh Stinson back together. Troy Patton is coming back on Wednesday. Is he? Yes. Okay. You don't think so? I don't know that that's a slam dunk. How do you not know it's a slam dunk? Troy Patton has been effective in the past. Yes, he has. However. Oh, there's always the however. There's always the however. The way our bullpen is constituted, Mm -hmm. we have some lefties. Congratulations. We have Britain, who is not going anywhere. Yes. We have Mattis. Who is not going anywhere. Correct. And if we're going to bring a third lefty mm-hmm. to the bullpen, I'm not sure that we sh- we wouldn't be better served with TJ McFarlane. Who is also a lefty. Who is also a lefty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, if you're going to bring another lefty. So, T- uh, Troy Patton is fighting for a spot where it's thin. I mean, it's a, a slim margin there. I'm not sure that he is 
for a third lefty, mm-hmm. the best option for the team. Now, yes, he's probably better than Josh Stinson. Yes, he's probably better than Evan Meek at this point. Yes. At this point. But how many lefties are we going to carry in that pen? Three. I don't know about that. I do. You give consideration to you're going to have 12 people in your pitching staff. Five of them are going to be starters. Seven of them are going to be relievers. Why wouldn't you be able to carry three? You just don't need them as often. What are you talking about? There aren't as many left-handed hitters as there are right-handed hitters. You don't need as many left-handed specialists. You are going with the aspect of left-handed specialists, but we have seen already that Buck has already put Britain Britain and Madison not just against left-handers, but he's also brought them in for multi-inning games. Yes, and that hasn't bitten him yet. Because both hasn't bitten him yet. How dare you criticize Buck and say he's going to be bitten? First of all, Brian Mattis has terrible splits against right-handed hitters. Um, in the past, yes, that's true. Oh, because past stats mean mean nothing. Are you telling me, Scott Magnus, that past stats mean nothing? If you have changed your approach, then they might mean little less be less significant. Oh dear God, Scott, are you going to tell me he's going to take it one day at a time? If the guts uh, back of the baseball baseball card guy is telling you that past stats matter and you're fighting me on this this show has jumped the shark look i can't even read what's on the back of the baseball card because there's a gum stain on it but anyway <laughs> let's go to troy Patton. that was gum stain right i want to look at troy Patton's stats from last night and that was troy Patton pitched left-handed batters have gone zero for six against troy Patton, and Patton threw a season high 34 pitches last night at what level triple a norfolk oh so he can beat triple a pitching or hitting so can T.J. McFarland. Oh, fair point. <laughs> Continue, sir. But I think it's really interesting, the workload for Patton, um, because it looks like he might be being stretched out for multiple innings, similar to how Brian Mattis and Zach Burton have been. And you've been beating that drum, and we talked about this with uh, Steve Molesky. That's that's a really important piece to building a bullpen. Sure. So I went through and I went, looked at the game logs for 2013 for Patton just to see what he has done in terms of pitch workloads. And there was only three times... In 2013, out of his 56 appearances, that he pitched that many pitches. And all those were in multiple inning performances, two innings or more. Okay. Uh, I think that, you know, I I reacted strongly to Troy Patton. Uh, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I I don't know that it's a slam dunk that he's going to be back uh, as soon as his suspension is up. I know he's out of options, but again, I wonder who's necessarily going to grab him. What other options, Scott, do we have in the minors that you think would be uh, a possibility to bring up uh, moving forward? Well, I see several options. One would be um, Brad Brock is a really interesting piece right now. Well, he's the guy I thought was going to make this club out of, out of spring training. Um, just going through his stats right now in Norfolk, and I know you don't really pay heed to Norfolk stats because they're just Norfolk. But he's got it is, it, the International League, you know, I guess the, the it's better than the PCL. I'll give it that. But he has 19.6 strikeouts per nine innings right now for a reliever. Is that good? That sounds good. That would be dramatically higher than even the best relievers like Koji and anybody out there. Or notice Chapman as well um, in terms of strikeouts per nine innings. So that's a very, very, very good ratio. Let me write that down. That's good. Just think of it this way. Is 20 strikeouts per game good? Sounds good. Okay. And then in terms of strikeouts per walk, he has a six strikeouts to walk ratio. Again, really, really, really good. Part of that is because he's getting so many strikeouts per nine. But I think it's really interesting to have that put-away pitch. And those, you know, that's a really interesting situational pitcher there if you're bringing him into the into the bullpen. Um, again, it's a right-hander. 
So it gives you another option because, you, again, you don't like left-handers. The other thing about him is that he's got options. And I think that's really important for Buck Showalter to be able to build that pen, is to be able to send a guy up and down when he's effective and when he's not, and when you need help elsewhere. Sure. I agree with that totally. That's why I think he's an interesting player. Another interesting player is Preston Gimmitt, who we picked up from from the Cleveland Indians. Um, He also has an impressive 11 strikeouts to walk ratio and an 11 strikeouts per nine innings as well. So he's a very interesting pitcher to keep an eye on as well, who we've picked off the waiver wire as well. And again, he does have major league experience. And then the one that I think is interesting too, just from our minor league system, is Tim Barry is an interesting choice in terms of a long reliever. He's been doing a lot of starting appearances, but he really hasn't got deep into games. But I think he would be really interesting in terms of bringing him as a long man. Sure. And the other thing, again, I hate to go back to it. Uh, last week we talked to Steve Molesky. He said that Mike Wright is also mm-hmm. somebody who could contribute at the major league level this year. Again, one of those starters may cut his teeth in the bullpen if he's going well. Right. But I think it's interesting that the Orioles are continuing to promote and stretch out their relievers. They did it with Mattis. They did it with Brendan during spring training. It looks like they're starting to do it with Patton as well. And, you know, with a heavy right-handed pitching starting rotation, you know, things could be interesting if you start doing that, especially if your starting pitchers, like you're saying, are only going to go five and two-thirds of an inning. So what happens if you basically break out your bullpen or your rotation such as this? Let's say your starter is Art Tillman, Jimenez, Chen, Norris, Let's say you put Gosman up there, because I think that's what everyone thinks is going to happen, is Gosman is going to get in the rotation. So I'm going to pull Gonzo out of the rotation right now, and I'm going to actually bring him into the bullpen. Now, the other option is he does have three options. He does have minors. Yeah. He could be sent down, and you could bring up a player like TJ McFarland or Brad Brock or somebody else. But let's just hypothetically say we're going to pull him into the bullpen. If you do that, you have a long reliever situation of Britton, Mattis, Patton, and Gonzalez. It's pretty interesting, you know, if they're able to get one and two-thirds innings or two innings, and if the starting pitchers are only going five to six innings, that could really help to not tax the bullpen. And again, you can see, you know, the situation of Burton could go with Tillman, Mattis could go with, you know, Jimenez, and then maybe you pair Chen and Gonzalez together because you have that left-handed, right-handed matchup as well. And then you get into situation and closer work, and you've got O'Day, Webb, and Hunter there as well to basically come in and say, we need to just get this guy out. We're going to bring O'Day, Webb, or Hunter in. And Hunter can, or all three of those could actually be a closer by committee as well. Absolutely. I, I really think that we have good options for the pen. The pen hasn't showed up well at times this season. But again, I do want to caution, let's be careful to not, you know, call them crap right away. I, I think that... If the starters go a little bit longer, if we wait a little bit longer in the season, we may see better out of the guys that aren't Josh Stinson. Yeah. So we're saying be patient, but not too not patient. Not too patient. Scott, one thing I do want to talk about is uh, is on the offensive side of things, some things that you and I have noticed about. We've talked about it, you and I, at the games, and I want to uh, I want to raise it here in the podcast. So play the music. All right. Let's let uh, tonight's performance be the best performance <laughs>
All right, Scott, I think it's time for some praise. And it's a guy that we've beat up on this podcast in years past, but Matt Wieters is getting it done with the stick. And Matt Wieters is getting it done with the stick in a way that he has failed in the past. And people, including you and I, have been very vocal about. And that is Matt Wieters as a left-handed hitter. I want to talk a little bit about Matt Wieters, what he's managed to do this year, again, at the plate, and talk about what that means not only for Wieters' career, for the Orioles, but what we can expect moving forward. Before we do that, though, I want to make sure we put this in the proper perspective. So can you help me reset? Can you help me slow my roll? Can you help me make sure I'm in the right mind frame for this? It's April. Thank you. No problem. It's too early to, you know, get too high or too low on Matt Wieters. Yeah. It's really, this whole praise segment is actually really, fairly ridiculous, Jake, that you want to be like, ooh, Matt Wieters is finally doing something. I can pull out that SI cover and finally say, they were right. Tom Verducci was right. All right. It's not quite that exciting. I do want to say that we are seeing the right things from Matt Wieters. Let's just look at the splits, all right? As a left-handed hitter, which, again, everyone has been screaming, he should stop being a switch hitter. He should go predominantly lefty or righty because he can't handle it. His splits, his line as a left-handed hitter, 388, 436, 571, and 1.008. All right? That is a decent line. That's very impressive. As a right-handed hitter, 235, 222, 647, 869. Huh? That's a horrible line. What happened? Well, I want to I want to ask about that because at this point in the season, very much has been. Do you made. think he missed Stoke? Like he's like, oh, this is my left hand, and this is my right hand. <laughs> he, he needs to either put a sticker on his hand yeah. or remember which one uh, makes the that's L. Kind of what I'm thinking. At this point in the season, much has been made of Weeders lowering his hands and his stance as a lefty. All right, he's got a less busy stance with even with that high leg kick of his. But the big thing is the lowering of the hands as a left-handed hitter. Scott, I would I would uh, point out this does not seem to be the case as a right-handed hitter. When he bats right-handed, he still has those hands up behind his ear. He still is dangling that bat over his shoulder, you know, kind of looping back. And it makes me wonder, is his success as a lefty and his lack of success as a righty due to the fact that he's made the adjustment as a left-handed hitter, and he's failed to make that adjustment as a right-handed hitter or hasn't seen the need yet to make that adjustment as a righty? Or is it possible that this is simply a small sample size that we're seeing? The number of of at-bats that he has as a right-handed hitter at this point is less than 20. It's fewer than 20 at-bats that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to make mountains of molehills. However, he is really raking as a lefty. We're seeing him consistently in that number five spot because... Buck Showalter can't find a better option day in and day out than the way Matt Wieters has been playing. And he's been playing really well against lefties. Or, I'm sorry, as a left-handed hitter. He hasn't really been getting it done as righty. So, Scott, I'll shut up and I'll simply ask you. Small sample size or approach-driven? Small sample. Well, it's both, actually, but it's more small sample size. I'm going to go versus left-handed pitchers. Matt Wieters' BABIP is currently .182. Which is just that doesn't sound good. It's extremely unlucky. It doesn't make any sense that it's that low. So you're right. That small sample size for 18 plate appearances 
Yes, he's at 235, but that BABIP is so low that it just it's going to balance itself out and get back to the historical average. I have a question for you again. Yes. I'm, the, I'm the guts guy. I'm the back of the baseball card guy. Yes. I want to ask you about BABIP specifically in this new world of Major League Baseball. Sure. Do you think that defensive shifts and alignments are contributing to BABIP in a way that we haven't seen it before? No. Okay. So you think that luck is luck, that you can basically see it through BABIP, even though Defensive players are in different positions, basically, than they have been before. Yes. Okay. I, I, I can't argue with you because I, I'm not as well-versed in the statistical analysis as you are, but I would caution you, Scott Magnus. If we watched it on Sunday, when J.J. Hardy plays a mean second base, you need to watch out for things like that. Okay. Retrospective, too, with right-handed pitching— Matt Wieters is 404 with Babbitt, which, again, is extremely high. So you would expect that to come down slightly as well. Let's, now, let's throw out the numbers, though, and let's go to Jake English. Let's use my eyes and listen to my gut. We're going to go to trouble with the curve, and you know we're going to bring Clint Eastwood and Justin Timberlake in here, and you know we're just going to you know talk and feel out baseball. Sorry, you went to that movie and failed to mention Jessica Biel? Jessica Biel's not in that movie. Amy Adams is in that movie. What's the baseball movie with Jessica Biel? Uh, Pitch Perfect or something like that? No, I don't know. That's the one with... Uh, that's the other one movie. These are fi- clearly films I haven't seen. It, it's, from, it's from like the 90s. This is like more recent. Okay. Yeah. Is it worth watching? Um, Amy Adams is pretty good looking. And it's got Clint Eastwood. So this gets Scott Magnus's one thumb up. It, uh, it gets me something up. <laughs> I put that right on the tee for you. Okay, move Let's on. just say I can make the bald man cry. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? It's important that we move forward. Um, um, it's a spare, extremely small sample size, but let's go back to the God of the Reaction. Um, Matt Wieters definitely has changed his plate appearance. He has a quicker swing going through the plate. I do believe that, you know, dropping his hands and also the step that he's taking in making his swing is a lot more compact. And the biggest issue with Matt Wieters in past few years has been how long his swing has been. And unfortunately, there really is no statistics. There is no tracking that you can do with, you know, this kind of bat speed over historical average. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Scott. It it just comes back to the situation of this is why scouting is so important. You know, yes, you can have as many numbers as you want. Yes, you can have as many stats and numbers as you want. But if you can't go out there and actually see what those stats actually mean, it means nothing. Well, the stats tell you the long game. Yes. They really do. And I think that the scouting can tell you when the, the trends are about to shift. And again, if you're underperforming too, you still need to have that gut in saying, you all of a sudden just opened your arm up here. You need to fix that in order to get back into the consistency. Stats are numbers, but again, there still is a methodology and approach to being on the field. So we'll be able to tell if if uh, Matt Wieter's approach to the plate has changed, and that has really led to better success as the season continues. I want to move forward to to the defense again. We're we're in praise of Matt Wieter's mode right here. I want to talk about his defense now. I have beaten him up a little bit about the forearm. You know, he went from don't run run ever to sitting because of an arm problem. He made those two terrible throws before he took some rest. And uh, again, I I can't believe more people aren't running on him. But two things that I want to mention defensively about Matt Wieters. He has just been tremendous in his adjustment to the new anti-collision rules at home plate. His positioning has been perfect in accepting throws uh, and applying tags for relays. 
while still providing a lane for that runner to the plate. The a, a best example that I could come up with was the game on April 22nd. And I'm not sure if that, that replay is mm-hmm. available on MLB.com as one of the highlights of the game. But for me, it was one of the highlights of the game because it just showed he was in the right place. He knew where to be. He gave a great target for J.J. Hardy, and boom, he planted the tag on perfectly. Well, not to mention, too, the way he swept it through there allowed the umpire perfectly to see the ball and yeah. say, I made this tag. There was no concealed aspect to it. It was, if this went to replay... I know I'm going to get the out. And, you know, we're, we're asking Major League Baseball players who have played their entire life to play a different way. And some of them, you know, can make that adjustment better than the others. It, it looks like Weeders has been playing this way all his life. Yeah. He, he really has done well with that. Very smart defensive player. It's as simple as that. You know, kudos to him. Just not just having the physicality, but being the uh, field smarts in order to adapt in that fashion. The other thing I want to praise uh, Matt Weeders for is he's now responsible for a lot more territory than he used to be. When it comes to a foul ball, when the defense has shifted over to the right uh, to the right side of the infield, he's responsible for a lot, a lot of foul territory. Of foul territory, because when your closest player is JJ Hardy, who's playing, you know, close to second base, if it's a foul pop up, you know, where you know the third baseman would usually get it, that's all Weeders now. Yeah. And I've seen him make a couple of plays where he's hustled out there to get himself into a position to make a play. Even if that ball goes into the first or second Correct. row or bounce uh, of on the top stand, of the dugout, yep, he's there to make it. So uh, I just want to point out that's another adjustment he has to make, and Matt Weeders has been making it in a way that you know maybe not every defensive catcher in the league can do. So tip of the cap to Matt Weeders so far this season. Are we making him the April MVP? I'm not sure. I'm ready to go that far but you're impressed with so far what you're seeing i really am it's a relief to see matt weeders do so well again i'm sure he's just racking it up so that he can make that contract a year next year but it's nice to see good things come from matt weeders well certain people were racking it up last week um needs to say maybe not the individuals that i thought it was so uh with that let's go into some uh let's go into some fantasy balls i'm listening Scott Magnus, are those the dulcet tones of Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani that I hear? Yes, it would be. So, Jake, congratulations. You won again this week. Chris Davis bested Adam Jones this week in terms of runs created per 27 outs, which, again, is interesting because Chris Davis went out for part of this week. But, again, it's that average sample size of runs created per 27. It's like almost you learned from that first week of saying, I want to put in a sample size over how much they appear, as opposed to just saying, I want a certain exact total number well it's not like i called that chris davis was gonna get hurt well everyone can blame chris uh, chris davis's injury on jake english (laughs) but i do agree you know uh, one of my uh 2014 resolutions was to become more familiar with uh you know some of the more extended stats than you you would normally see on the back of a baseball card but i do agree that runs created over 27 outs is probably best in the long haul right so let's let's point out that jermiah weeks has a better runs created per 27 
than Chris Davis did this week. Abs- absolutely. It, it is a, it is not a useless stat right. when you're looking at, you know, the games over a week, but it's certainly more helpful over the course of a season. Right. Not to mention runs created per 27 really has been eliminated from a lot of sabermetrics libraries. The only place that I could find it was on ESPN. Okay. Don't I get some credit though for digging that out? You would have had credit if it was back in 2008. Again, if you're using something that is a little bit more accepted now, go with weighted runs created, which really uses weighted on base average. We've done WOBA. I know, but this goes into a different aspect of WOBA. All right. Well, I, I can see that I've upset you, Scott. I, I know that you've broken out the asterisk. I'm going to break out an asterisk. So it's two, two, asterisk, asterisk. Each of us has the asterisk. Yes. Can we, can we, can we cancel out the asterisk? Sure. Let's now? cancel out the asterisk. All right. So it is just a clean two, two. Yes. All right, so we are now tied up at two. Scott, I, I feel like I feel like now that it's even, I need to to extend an olive branch. Okay. All right. I'm gonna make this easy. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go right back to my old ways. I'm gonna go back to the simplistic view of baseball, the the romantic view of baseball. Scott, this week we're gonna focus on which Oriole will have more runs batted in this week. You pick first. Let's see. Who am I going to go with? Uh, I think I'll have one choice, and that's, whoa, Nelly. That is a really good, uh, <laughs> that's a really good choice. You're yeah. a jerk. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm torn, like Natalie and Brulia. Um, on one hand, I want to go with uh, Matt Wieters because he's been solid and dependable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also, you know, batting fifth. We just uh, talked about him for like 20 minutes. Right. On the other hand, I want to go with Adam Jones because I feel like he's got a turnaround ahead of him. Left, right, left, right, left. I'm going to go with Jones. Um. Okay, well, I'm just going to let you know that Jones let me down big time last week, so um, good luck with that. Um, but He if, let you down, Scott. But he hasn't let me down yet. If you could do me a favor and get off, off the floor, you're just not cold and naked anymore. So let's get started and go and talk about some of the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm actually going to start it out this week. Um, I already mentioned this earlier, but my good for the week is going to go to TJ McFarland. Making several spot starts this week really helped to uh, you know, save the bullpen after a pretty rough Boston series. You know, He did the job exactly what he was supposed to do. Norfolk stood up. TJ McFarland represented. Thank you, TJ McFarland, for doing what you need to do. Kudos. All right, my good for this week is Nick Markakis, and that's on a couple of levels. First, he he had a really good week at the plate. Um, Nick Markakis is, is holding his end of the bargain. When he's the leadoff hitter, he's doing what he's supposed to do. When he's batting third, he's doing what he's supposed to do. In the last seven days, he's batted three eighty nine. He's driven in four runs. He's he's doing a really great job. But the more important part of that is that he's contributing to the team, holding up first base. While Chris Davis is out, we don't have a backup first baseman except Ryan Flaherty, who is a negative offensively. And it's really awesome that we have a gold glove right fielder who's willing and able to step in at first base. Is he the best first baseman ever? Of course not. But he hasn't hurt us yet. And for that, this week he's good. Honorable mention Nelson Cruz. Oh, God. He was destroyed on, Canada. He was on fire. 
He was on fire. Um, my bad for the week is going to go to Evan Meek. I couldn't pick my boy Josh Jensen, so I'm going with Evan Meek with his 750 average and 7.50 whip. Evan Meek, you were bad this week in the bullpen. Get it together or, well, you'll be <laughs> representing Norfolk standing up as well. <laughs> <laughs> My bad for this week goes to J.J. Hardy. J.J., I was a little disappointed with his showing this week. He batted 211. Um, he just he didn't fill in for a lineup that was hurting. And with other guys not performing well, with guys like uh, Machado being absent for a long time, with Chris Davis being hurt, he just he didn't help make up the difference. And uh, I was disappointed with him. So uh, bad this week, J.J. Hardy at the plate. All right, my league is going to go to my fantasy boss for last week, Adam Jones. 161 average, 161 on base percentage, 194 slugging, and a 355 OPS. You know, I really don't think I had that big of a deal if this was a player that was in the seventh or eighth hole, but Adam Jones right now is in the four hole. And he's in the four hole because Chris Davis is injured right now. And if you know, if Adam Jones continues to bat like this, the Orioles are going to do very, very poorly. It also raises the question of whether Adam Jones should actually be in the number four hole with how Matt Weirs and Nelson Cruz are performing at this time. Here, here. Should Adam Jones actually be in the four hole or should it be in the five or six hole? Or should he be moved up into maybe the second hole or the third hole or whatever? But again, he shouldn't be the cleanup hitter right now with the way he's hitting. The only person that should be in that cleanup role right now is Nelson Cruz or Matt Weirs. Jake, who's your ugly for the week? Scott, my only for this week is the worst thing in Oriole baseball this past week. Rain? No, my friend, the worst thing in Oriole baseball this week is Chris Davis's oblique. Mm. Is there anything worse than hearing that Crush, before he really got going this season, was going to be out for extended periods of time because he has an oblique strain? Oblique strains have become one of the worst injuries for players because it takes them out of the lineup or off the rubber for so long. And it's something that happens with the everyday motions of a baseball player. Scott, this week, my ugly goes to Chris Davis's oblique. And Scott, I, we've actually received some, uh, some correspondence about Chris Davis's oblique. Really? Yeah, it turns out that now that Chris Davis is on the DL, he's got some time on his hands. Mm. So uh, Chris Davis sent us something. It was a little something that he worked up to to kind of uh, communicate directly with his oblique. And, um, you know, usually we blow the save. I'm going to blow it right now. Scott, why don't we go ahead and sign off, and we will uh, we'll leave the listeners with a little something from Chris Davis. So with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'm going to bid you a fond adieu-adieu. Good night. Baltimore? You and me We used to flash some leather We hit some dongs together Always I really feel That I'm losing a big swing I do believe this could mean the DL You've heard me so Band sales and evil no And Buck just told me that I've got to go Oh please, I know I heard you swinging So please stop your straining no dongs because it hurts. Oh, bleed.
You better start your healing I need to be back this season No dongs because it hurts Those half-assed balls They can be inviting My swings were all together mighty frightening Those balls used to fly The back you and I Head in my hands, I sit and cry. Oh, please, I know I heard you swinging. So please stop your straining. No dongs because it hurts. No, no, oh, please, you better start your healing. Need to be back this season. No dongs because it hurts. If I don't start mending, the skit will never be ending for the O's. Dying, are we? Oh, bleak, I know I hurt you swinging. So please stop your straining. No dongs because it hurts. No, no, no. Oh, bleak, you better start your healing. Need to be back this season. No dongs because it hurts. No dance because it hurts I know I heard you swinging So please stop your straining Oh bleak, oh bleak, oh bleak You better start your healing I need to be back this season The O's are good, the O's are good The birds are real good, ah La 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 Oh bleak Oh bleak Oh 